Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Philippe Rousseau. Love that land name. He's a growth expert, entrepreneur, CEO, venture capitalist, board member, you name it. He's been doing this for 30 years. He's the co-founder and managing partner of Blue Dot Partners. And that company works with companies and business units with revenues from 10 million to a billion. He was the director of Apple Worldwide uh, Internet Commerce Services and worked directly with Steve Jobs. And he had some great insights on that. He wrote a best-selling book called Aligning the Dots. Philippe, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Tats. It's a pleasure being here. So I received your book. What uh, inspired you to, to write the book? Well, let's put it in perspective. You know, I have been an entrepreneur and a CEO and a venture capitalist for 30 years here in Silicon Valley. And one of the most vexing problems that I've always had is, is how do we grow the business faster? How do we grow faster than the market? How do we beat our competitors? And it's a really frustrating question. And especially when it comes to actionability, you know, you wake up on a Monday morning at eight o'clock and you said, okay, well, what do I do right now to grow my business? And I found it's a very deceptively simple question, but really hard to answer. It's a little bit like, I want to be a good parent, like, every, like everyone wants to be. And it's like, well, what do I actually do to be a good parent? Not, you know, philosophically, but right now at eight o'clock on Monday morning. And the book is, is providing a very crisp answer to that question. Mm. Now, I opened it up and then the early parts of the book, it wasn't what I expected. You started to talk about skydiving and I think uh-huh. you, you do skydiving. So what's that all about? Well, I've done a thousand jumps in my life. I actually spent 20 hours literally falling at 120 miles per hour. But the thing that caught my attention is something that happened on July 30th, 2016. And it happened in Simi Valley, California. There's a guy named Luke Akins and he made history. He jumped out of an airplane from 25,000 feet, but differently from what I've done all my life, he jumped without a parachute. And he safely landed in a 100 by 100 foot net. And one of the really key aspects of the success of his jump and of his own survival is that he had to create and maintain a perfect alignment between his body and the net. And it took him two years to do this jump, which lasted one minute and seven seconds. And the reason that caught my attention is because the secret to growing any business is alignment. And it's a very similar thing. Any CEO and business leader and entrepreneur is facing a similar challenge, which is to create and maintain a perfect alignment between the business and the target market. Mm, That's a great analogy. Now, I've never jumped out of a plane. You should. Can you kind of walk... (laughs) the people that haven't jumped out of the plane, the type of planning and considerations that need to be taken in place to attempt that no parachute jump. Like, what did he do for two years? Just sort of walk us through. Well, first of all, he's a professional skydiver. He's done over 6,000 jumps. He's a, he's a pilot, certified FAA pilot. The real trick is that you land on a net. The net is pretty high above the ground because yeah. you're going to hit the net at 120 miles per hour. So you're going to sink pretty deeply into the net. 
And by the way, there's a really cool YouTube video on, on that. If you look at Luke Aikins, A-I-K-I-N-S, you will find it. Yeah. The trick is, because he's going to sink very deeply into the net, he actually has to flip on his back. If he stays on his, on his belly, like we all jump, mm -hmm. he would break his back. He would actually die. Yeah. So what happened is you're, you're falling at 120 miles per hour, you're looking at the net, and then just before hitting, you have to flip on your back so that you land on your back. Wow. And so the real preparation was two things. One is to create and maintain that perfect alignment. How do I align my body you know, from 25,000 feet to touching the, the net? And then the second thing is how do I orchestrate that, that flip on my back without drifting? Because if you drift, you miss the net. So all the preparation went into really doing that maneuver and over and over again. He would do that with people skydiving, kind of on a circle. And in free falling, he would flip on his back and go through the circle of other people holding hands. Yeah. So there's all kinds of things that he had to do, but it really required very careful planning and, and thinking uh, for the success of his dive, of his skydive. Wow, it's just chilling as you're describing it. I'm just trying to picture it. I just, yeah, I just no, feel goosebumps just thinking about jumping yeah. with a, a parachute. Now, yeah. you know, so the alignment of that project, you talked about the alignment of a business. What are the factors that a business has to consider to, to be aligned? Yeah, it's a great question. And first of all, again, the, the secret to grow any business, and it, it's a really new way of thinking about solving that, that equation, solving that problem. The secret is that you have to create and maintain that perfect alignment. Now, the interesting thing is that, and the big insight I had about four or five years ago was that there are four independent axes of alignment between a business and its target market. And the real power of this idea and this concept is that those four alignments are truly universal. So I can take a cafe on the left bank in Paris. I can take your company. I can take any of your you know, listeners' company. Those four alignments are exactly the same. So I'm going to tell you quickly what they are. The first one is that the pain of the customer and the claim that the company is making or the business is making, those two things have to be aligned. So if you come to me, Tats, and you say, well, I have a headache and I show you a stomachache peel, well, your pain and my claim are not aligned, you will never buy my peel. The second axis of alignment is that the expression of the claim and the way that claim is understood, those two things have to be aligned. So imagine I have the right pill for your headache. It costs 99 cents. It'll be gone in 10 minutes. But I describe it to you in French or Korean, assuming you don't speak those languages. You're like, what the heck is this guy talking about? You will never buy the pill, even though it's the perfect pill for your headache. So that's the second axis of alignment. The third one is the way the product is sold or the service is sold in the marketplace. And the way customers want to acquire that product, those two things have to be aligned. So if I said, Tats, I have your peer, but you have to fly here in San Francisco to get it, you're going to say, well, wait a minute, I'm in Vancouver. I, I can just walk to the pharmacy and, and buy the peer because that's where I expect to buy it. And the four axis of alignment is actually my favorite one. And I actually stole it out of the Apple playbook. Mm. So I, I spent three years working at Apple and I worked directly for Steve Jobs for one year, which is how I lost my hair. If you ever wonder. <laughs> but there, there are three things I learned from Steve, which I use every day. The first one is, don't be focused. Be hyper-focused. Mm. I have never met somebody in my life who was such intensely focused on, on very few things and really, really intensely focused. Mm. Give me some uh, examples on hyper-focus. Like what, what, what did he do that kind of stood out for you? Like give me, give me an example. Well, so, so for example, Steve would never do any interview with the press. Mm. He would not go on any podcast or any TV shows or any radio. 
He would never, ever do interviews. And one day we talked about this and I asked him, I said, why? And he says, well, is this going to make the product better when I talk to the press? And the answer is no. So I'm not doing it because I'm not moving the needle on making the product better. So that would be an example. Wow. I like that. The second lesson I learned at Apple is that simplicity is really, really, really hard. And this is what Apple is all about, really. And then the third lesson, which is very relevant to the, in the book and the four axis of alignment, which is I came to the realization that there is only one single business on this planet. And that unique business is the manufacturing and the delivery of delight. If I buy a product to put on my roof, I will have a certain delight expectation of what it's going to do for me, whether it's safety or cost or durability. As I consume the product or the service, that delight expectation has to be met. There cannot be an impedance mismatch between what I expect and what's delivered. So the four axis of alignment is the pain and the claim have to be aligned. The perception and the message have to be aligned. The purchase and the sale have to be aligned. And then the expected delight and the delivery have to be aligned. And if you perfectly align your business or any business with its target market, you will realize the maximum possible growth rate within that market for your business. Mm. Yeah, I like, I like your approach. There's no brute force. It's just uh, elegant. And I've learned from uh, people over the years that even if you sell a, a few million dollars worth of product or, or, or services or software, uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that you have alignment. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can transact, but you will not transact to the maximum possibility within that market if you're not aligned. So think of it like a mechanical watch. Yes, it still works if you misalign those gears, but it starts to slow down. So it doesn't give you the time, but it's still working. Eventually it will stop working if you misalign so much, it stops ticking. But you're right. You can generate revenue and top line, but it's not going to be optimized. Mm-hmm. What are uh, some companies that do this well? Well, I mean, Apple is probably the, the, one of the companies in the world that does that really, really well. I mean, the pain and the claim, everything is perfectly aligned in many ways. And there are companies that are just not really aligned. Another company that's well aligned is, is Hello Top, which is the number one ice cream seller in the United States. They are selling more than Agendas and Ben and & Jerry. And, and the reason is because they sell with very low calorie, very low, low fat. And it's like, it's like really eating ice cream with no remorse. And, and that's what the message is all about. And they're very well aligned. And that's why they are number one top ice cream seller in the United States, mm. as an example. Now, out of those four axes, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask anyways, is which one is the most important? Like, which one do companies get wrong the most? Maybe, maybe that's the way I should ask it. Yeah, I mean, first of all, they are all important. I mean, if you misalign along the fourth, then you're not going to go very far in terms of success in business. If you misalign along just one axis, then you can improve. I think the one that we see the most is the second one, which is the message versus the perception. So companies have a pretty good idea of what pain they are going after. They have a pretty good idea of the claim that they are constructing around their product or the service. The way they communicate the claim is you know, not aligned in many, many cases with the way people understand what the claim is all about and how it's going to fix their pain. And that's, that's a, probably the most misaligned of the four axes that we see. The third one, which is the way people sell and the way customers acquire, is the one that's probably the most aligned across all the companies and industries that, that we serve. Mm, good point. So how do, you, how do you get more alignment in that, that, second, that second point that you brought up? 
Well, first of all, you have to talk to your prospects and your customers and say, can you describe your own pain? And as they do that, they will start using the vocabulary and the tone and the kind of expression that you need to register and said, okay, this is the way they describe their pain. And then you need to formulate a claim which resonates with the way they talk. And then you need to go back and test it and say, I'm going to tell you in one sentence what I do. And I want you to then tell me what you really understand. And so by through those iterative processes, you can start to better refine your message. And eventually you'll get a message that resonates very quickly with customers. And suddenly they get it right away. They understand and they're like, okay, well, I get what you do. It solves my pain. How do I buy would be the next question. Mm, I like it. So you mentioned earlier about simplicity. Simplicity is hard. Yes. We love simplicity. It's a core value. Give me an example of a project that you've worked on that you've, you've worked to simplify you know, somehow. Well, I, I like to do, and as a, as a venture guy, I like to really, what I call, you know, the peeling onion exercise, which is you take out all those layers that are really not important and not, not interesting. I'm going to give you an example. In fact, yesterday I spoke to the CEO of a company that is doing a mask that you put on your mouth and your nose, which is transparent. It's actually plastic. And they have two pumps that actually forces the air through the side of the mask. And then you can breathe normally. And the mask doesn't actually, is not actually sealed. The problem with the mask now, the N95 mask, another mask that you find now in the marketplace, is that people don't wear them correctly. They don't seal. And so they actually breathe the particles that they're not supposed to. And he was telling me that he was 30 to 70% better and he was so much more comfortable. And at the end of the conversation, I said, you are not in the mask business. That is not the business you're in. And he said, well, what do you mean? We manufacture those masks. They're beautiful. We sell them. I said, no, you're in a completely different business. You're in the business of prolonging life. You make people live longer. That's a much more appealing value proposition than just, hey, I'm going to sell you a mask that's going to cost 10 or 20 times more than a normal mask, but it's much better and so on and so forth. And so when you start to flip things and you start to think about a much higher value and a purpose, I don't know any human beings that don't want to live longer. I'm sure there are some out there, but most, most of us don't. And so you look at it in a very different way. And I basically took away all the technicality of the description of what the product does and all that, which I don't really care anyway. <laughs> and I resume into some very simple questions like, you know, you, we're living in an environment that's dangerous or polluted. Would you like to avoid that and live longer? And obviously the answer is yes. And then you can explain what you do. So the why is more, much more important. And that's the simplification that I did to, to the business as an example. Mm, very nice. Now, you, you mentioned your ventures. What are the factors you look at in the, in the venture side that you, know, that you, you sort of uh, look at in terms of what you get involved in? Well, I think one of the most important questions to me as a, as a venture guy, as an investor, is why are you doing this? So starting a business is, is really, really hard. I mean, there's, is, there's nothing mundane about it. And it's not the things you say at a cocktail party. It's the day-to-day grinding, difficulty, being alone, having doubts, not knowing what's going to happen. I'm on the board of a company the other day, and we had a term sheet for a Series B. And the guy at the last minute says, well, with the crisis we're going through now, we're going to pull the term sheet. We're not going to make that investment. And the CEO panics, obviously, and it's like, what do we do? So 
I think that the first question to me is, you have to be crazy to start a business. <laughs> Why are you really, really doing this? And if the answer is, I want to make money, then I would never invest because that's never the reason. The answer could be, I have a chip on my shoulder I need to get rid of. And that's a perfectly valid answer. The answer could be, I do want to make a real impact to the world. I want to change people. But it has to be real and authentic. It's not like saying it because it feels good to say it. So I think to me, the most important question is, why are you doing this? And then, you know, do you understand that whatever you plan is not going to happen? How resilient are you? Do you truly believe? And then the second big part is, what does the rest of your team look like? And can you delegate? What are your co-founders look like? And because you cannot build a company by yourself, it's absolutely impossible. So it's like the reason you do it is number one. And two is, can you hire the best people? Can you encourage them to come and work with you? Can they subscribe to your vision and your why? And if you have those two things and assuming there's a market, then I think, you know, you have a shot. Awesome. Well, let me flip that uh, back at you. What is your why? What is my why? Well, I want to help people be successful in business and you cannot be successful in business if you're not growing faster than the market in which you are. And if you're not, you're losing market trust. Somebody else is eating your lunch, you will eventually die. So my, my why is that I want to help you as a CEO grow your business and be successful. And that's the satisfaction I will get if, if that happens. Mm, very cool. What's, what does it look like for you in the future? What, what, what do you envision this all, where, this all, uh, where is it all going to go? Well, I, I am on this, piece, this big evangelization quest right now. So I wrote this book called Aligning the Dots, which I have here. And the idea is I really want to share this concept of alignment with CEOs and entrepreneurs and business leaders and executives and investors and board members. They have to think of the challenge of growth very differently from the way they have been doing it traditionally. Mm. And, and I need to get this message out. That's why I wrote the book. That's why I'm, I'm talking to you. And people should understand that there is a much more effective way and in a way simplified way to look at what do I need to do to grow? Where am I misaligned? And that's what I'm going to continue to do. And, and I want the world to know about this new idea and I want the world to apply it and be successful. Yeah. So you mentioned the way people are currently doing it. What is the sort of common ways or common mistakes you see people uh, making? Yeah, it's a good question. So I've been on 20 boards and I always observe the same thing. The number one reaction, if you're not growing as fast, is the CEO comes to the board meeting and says, well, I'm not growing as fast as I wanted. We're going to miss our numbers. Our competition is growing faster. The number one reaction is always, what's wrong with the sales team? Mm. It's the sales, the sales team, the, we are not getting the right leads. We're not prosecuting the right leads. We are, we've been talking about closing this customer for two quarters now. Nothing is happening. What is wrong with the sales guy? And that may be the case, but it's most probably the case that the misalignment comes from somewhere else. We're targeting the wrong customers. We don't have the right pain definition or the right ICP, the ideal customer profile defined. So the knee-jerk reaction is always, well, let's, let's replace the VP of sales. Let's, let's hire somebody else. And that's the reaction. The other types of reaction is, well, we need to do spend more on marketing or we need to offer a discount. I think discounting is a bad idea in general. Or we need to buy this company because they have millions of dollars of revenue, so we're going to accrue that revenue. 
or we're gonna I've seen things like, well, we should change our tagline or logo. That doesn't really do anything. So the typical reactions are are very knee-jerk. They are not thoughtful, thoughtfully considered. There is no data to back the decision. Why are we doing this? Where's the data? And and all those tactics really, really rarely work in my experience. And that's why I think you need to throw them away and say, okay, how can we rationally and thoughtfully look at the alignment and then measure those alignments and then figure out the growth playbook based on what we learn and the insights. Mm. Yeah, that sounds great. Now you're a busy guy, you know, obviously you're, you're speaking to lots of groups. What are some of your top routines or habits that, you know, kind of keep everything together for you? Well, I think the routine is to start to really develop a plan. I mean, if you don't, if you don't have a plan, whether that plan will be executed or not is a different question. But if you don't have at least a roadmap and say, this is what we are trying to accomplish, then you're not going to go anywhere. Then the second thing is I always reduce it to three things maximum. After three, yeah, I have a French brain. I just can't follow anyway. So it's like, what are the top three priorities, the top three top of mind challenges that you as a CEO have right now? And what are you focusing on? And then is how do we measure progress? So I, I'm very analytical. I, I think mm. data is critical. It's like, okay, you have a plan and you're here. How do you measure that distance? And, and what's, the, what's the framework that we're going to use to even measure that or the proxy in some cases, because you can't really measure it easily. And then the, the last one is, well, are we tracking? Or are we not tracking? And if we're not tracking, why? And do we need, what do we need to change? And it's kind of this constant feedback loop that tells me how well I'm doing as I'm making progress. And if I'm not doing too well or if it deviates for whatever reason, I need to understand where it's coming from and then correct either the plan or, you know, the action and testing. And that's, to me, the best way to do it. Mm. What sort of uh, metrics do you commonly track? Well, I think a key metrics for me is the bookings of your, of your customers. The spending and the, the bottom line is easier to master in some ways. The tough part is what am I going to close this quarter or next quarter or in the next you know, four quarters? And so you have to put a booking plan together and you have to track it. And when you show the line, you have to keep the line over the past 12 months. You can't just look at the current quarter. Mm-hmm. And even I do it over two or three years sometimes. Mm-hmm. And because then and, and then, and then every time you change the plan, you have a new line, but you keep the old one so that you remember what you were initially planning and change. sometimes you change this two or three times. But I think it's the tracking of those numbers that's the most important. And then the rest is, you know, the economics of the business, the gross margin, those kinds of things. But that's pretty typical metrics. But I think, I think the booking and then the expense line, those are the two things that I very carefully watch. Hmm. Now, is there any, anything else I, I haven't asked you about the, the book? Is there any sort of examples you want to share? Yeah, I mean, there are 20 case studies in the book and, and examples. I think a, a stunning example for me was Theranos, which was a very high-flying company in Silicon Valley here. In fact, just a couple of miles from where I live. And the company's promise was to be able to run hundreds of tests or dozens of blood tests of one single drop of blood. So people don't like to go to a place, get their blood drawn, you know, and then they wait for a few days to get results. The company says, well, I can do 10 or 12 or 15 tests. Just, you know, you poke your finger, you put it in this thing, you ship it to us, and we can tell you the results. 
So very high pain, very, the claim was very deep and, and very important. The problem is that it didn't work. So it was fraudulent. They were using all kinds of test machines. And Elizabeth Holmes, you know, the founder, is now waiting criminal trial for this. John Carew wrote a fantastic book called Bad Blood about it. But to me, that was probably the most misaligned example that I found. And, and I talk a little bit about it in the book, where, you know, the promise and the pain were very, very much aligned. Would have been a billion, billion dollar, several billion dollar valued business if it had worked. But the problem is that it didn't fundamentally work. And you can't do that, obviously. Yeah, that's definitely uh, it's tough for sure. Now, any sort of like if you were to go back in, in, in the past and give yourself uh, advice, what would it be? Well, I think in terms of business, the advice I would give to young people is to build a network very quickly. So if you think, if I look at the luck I've had in my life, it always came from, you know, meeting somebody almost by accident or being introduced to somebody at a cocktail or party or something like that. And I think that young people should start building a network as early as they can. And the second advice, which is a little bit similar, which is find a mentor, find somebody that inspires you and try to get close to that person somehow. So I'm not talking about somebody you cannot reach, like Michelle Obama would be an example. That's pretty hard to get close to her. But find somebody that you said, I wish I were like that person. I want to learn. And just reach out to that person and say, look, you know, I, I'm impressed and inspired by everything you've done. I'm 18 years old. I'm young. I'm, I'm naive. There's many things I don't know. But I would like to learn from you. I would like to work with you one way or another, even if I just have to carry you back. And I would like to do that. Would you be open to that? And, you know, I was mentored in a way by Steve Jobs and other people. And I was blessed and lucky and I learned so many lessons. And if you can do that in a thoughtful way where you start to think about who is my mentor, who is somebody that I want to be like, that I, that I respect, and just reach out to that person. And you'll be amazed that many, many times the person would respond, maybe not do exactly what you want, but at least try to help and build that network as early as you can. Yeah, no, that's very good advice. I definitely learned a lot. I learned a lot about skydiving that I didn't know. And then I also, uh, you know, that's a great metaphor for your alignment book. And I also uh, really appreciate the story of Steve Jobs talking about not taking interviews and being hyper-focused, right? Not focused, but hyper-focused on the product. So, Philippe, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you so much, Tats. This was a pleasure and uh, good luck and stay well. Thank you. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.